This is Ethan, and I'm here with Dave, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 37-inch. On this episode, we have part one of our interview with vocalist and longtime Weird Al collaborator, Lisa Popiel. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. It's a podcast about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. You don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. First off, Dave, we need to thank our mystery caller. They called in to 347 Spatula, and they gave us all the dirty, deep details of the big photo shoot happening this Saturday. And out of respect for Al... And because it's sensitive information, we're not going to air the call. We're not going to share any of the information. We don't want to break any confidentiality. We don't want anyone to be upset. But I will share one detail, Dave. Our mystery caller shared one very important detail. I hope we don't get in trouble for saying this. But there will be bottled water provided. Oh, no way. Bottled water. Oh, I don't know what to say. I have one thing to say. I'm putting out a special hit on a bottle of the special bottled water for my collection. If you can get me <laughs> a sealed bottle of water from the magazine photo shoot, I will give you a Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast sticker. Oh, how cool, how cool. Well, maybe our mystery <laughs> caller will be able to score you a bottle of water. <laughs> I guess I need photographic proof that it's that water and you didn't just buy Aquafina from the gas station. <laughs> I will give you two Dave and Ethan's 2000s Weird Al podcast stickers if you buy a bottle of Aquafina from the gas station and send it to Ethan and tell him it is from the photo shoot. Oh, boy. This is just my secret plan, Dave, so I don't have to buy a bottle of water next week. It'll just arrive individually wrapped in the mail. <laughs> All right, that is very exciting news, and we do really thank that mystery caller for calling in 347 Spatula and letting us know all the details about the photo shoot. And it is very exciting news because we already have people getting their confirmation emails. I know a lot of our listeners, a lot of our friends, they let us know that they will be there. I mean, besides our mystery caller, our close personal friends, UH Jeff, Vicky DeVries, Vicky's son, Allison Parsons, Jeff McClellan, Jackson Scoggins, and Kenneth Gwinnip all let us know that they will be at that photo shoot. I cannot wait to hear all about it. We definitely need to hear from them after the photo shoot this weekend so we can hear about it. It takes place in Los Angeles on Saturday, January 18th. So please, whatever you can share with us after you're there, we would love to hear 347 Spatula. And you can remain anonymous if you do want to let us know what's going on. I'm not sure what kind of directions people are going to be getting at the photo shoot, but if any of our listeners are able to do so, if you can show up in that picture doing either my hand signal or Ethan's hand signal in the photo, or somehow other visibly represent the Dave and Ethan 2000 Inch Weird Al podcast in that photo shoot, and it somehow makes it into that final product, we will personally send you official Dave and Ethan 2000 Inch Weird Al podcast swag. Yes, and if you do that and send me a bottle of water, just think of all the swag you'll be swimming in. <laughs> <laughs> Just think of all the bottled water you'll be swimming in. That's right. <laughs> I can't wait. 
We also want to remind everyone that in just a week and a half, our special live event with Jonah Ray and a screening of UHF will be taking place at Proctor's Theater in Schenectady. That's January 25th. For all the tickets and all the information, head over to uhf.2000inch.com. You want to get those tickets before it's too late. And Ethan, don't forget to mention the posters. Oh, how can I forget? The amazingly talented Jeff McClelland, who, if you're a Weird Al fan, you definitely know his work. He designed three posters for the last tour, the Strings Attached tour. He did the amazing R2-D2 Campbell Soup Can. He did the Nature Trail to Hell. And he did the Another One Rides the Bus. Three of my all-time favorite posters from the tour. So he, of those three posters fame, did our UHF Jonah Ray screening poster. And they are incredible. They are so cool. We loved his poster design so much that we decided to do a limited screen print run of these posters. And we are going to be selling them at the event as a fundraiser for putting on the event. But because you are one of our amazing listeners, we want you to have the chance to own one of these. There honestly are only a couple available. So if you want to reserve one, please let us know. Reach out to Dave, myself, or email frank at 2000inch.com and we'll make sure you get one of these posters. You really want to make sure that you get one of these posters because once all these posters are claimed, that's it. There's no more chance of you getting another one of these posters. And if you're not going to be there in person and you really want Jonah or Dave or me or all of us to sign the poster, we are more than happy to make that happen for you. So please get Get your tickets to the event, get the posters, all that information, uhf.2000inch.com. And Dave, anyone who pre-orders the exclusive poster will get a special surprise. And I'm ready to announce it, Dave. Amazing brand new exclusive stickers. So I am so excited for our next guest because she and Al have been working together on so many projects over the years. She's lent her voice to many of Al's most popular songs, and she recently toured with Al on the Strings Attached tour. She's also a great friend to the podcast. It's been such a pleasure getting to know her over the past couple months. Dave and I are so thrilled to have our next guest on the podcast. She has been performing for many years. She's notable for singing on Weird Al tracks. She is a voice coach. She's done so many amazing things, including touring with Al on the past strings attached to her. So excited to welcome Lisa Popiel. It's nice to talk to you guys again. I, I I miss you. I miss everybody. It was such an amazing experience this summer. It was so much fun getting to meet you and meet all of Al's gals and, and getting to see you on tour. I, I never thought that we'd see backup singers on a Weird Al tour. I didn't think that was ever going to happen, and I doubt it'll ever happen again. But but uh, <laughs> it, 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 I think the fans really loved it. That's what they, they said. But, of course, they'll go with anything Al does. You know, I've talked to a lot of fans. I said... You know, he set the bar so high this time with, with three backup singers, center stage, dancing their little butts off, and a full <laughs> orchestra every night. It, such a great show. What happens for the next tour? You know, I again, talking to the fans, um, they said, whatever he does, we know it's going to be great. They just go with it. They just trust him <laughs> implicitly that he knows how to put on a good show, and they'll go with whatever he decides to do. I think bagpipes are the next step. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the only way he can go up is with bagpipes. <laughs> no, I mean circus. You know, how about circus performers? Yes. Oh Flying wow! From the Raptors. <laughs> Cirque du Weird Al. That would be cool. Mm. <laughs> I think you're onto Weird something, Al Lisa. <laughs> yeah. 
But, you know, speaking for, for the fans and, and, you know, Dave and I recorded reviews after each concert we saw, having the addition of you and the other backup singers was just such an amazing thing, both musically, but also getting to see you guys on stage is, was so much fun. Getting to, you know, see the dances and the synchronization that you guys did, it just, it added to the experience so much. I was wondering if there was too much going on visually because we've got, of course, Al sent, you know, doing his thing, which he, he's, it's hard not to, to watch him every moment, <laughs> right. but also having the big screen in the background, um, showing videos the whole time and then having the conductor and then the orchestra and then us dancers and then, of course, the band. And I, I spoke to fans about that too and not a one felt that it was too much. They They said... I always had something to look at. Yeah. They just, they loved yeah. the, even though it might've been overkill, they loved every second of it. It wasn't <laughs> overkill. And then there were a lot of people who seemed to come multiple shows and they said, well, and, and as you guys did, right? And didn't you find that, that every time you came to a show, you, you had something else to notice, something else to, uh, to watch. Isn't that, wasn't that the case for you? Oh, yeah. Count me in as one of the fans who loved seeing all that up on stage. Everything, including you and Monique and Scotty, just just everything. And yes, there's always something new to report on. I mean, our concert reviews, they got longer and longer just because we noticed so much more each time we went. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just having that opportunity, you know, I, I obviously, <laughs> along with Dave, are in the camp of wanting to see the show multiple times, regardless if it's the same show. And it really is. I mean, it makes it... It's like when you watch a TV show or a movie that you love and you get to notice these new little parts and you, you then love that piece of art even more. And I, I feel that way about Weird Al shows. I feel that way about the original Star Trek. Oh, yeah? Every I'm, I'm a complete fan of, over all these years since I was a little girl. And I, I feel the same way about that. That every time I see something that I never noticed before, it makes me feel closer to the show it makes me appreciate all the effort they put into it even more so yeah okay on the same same line there about when you love something when you you see the detail and you appreciate the kind of effort that goes into into it even and in that show like for example that show was you know wasn't didn't get that high in the ratings and after three years it was gone forever forever and yet they put so much work into it and the same thing with a live show right once it's over it's over it's it's a it's a, an experience in the moment and that's makes it very magical because it'll never be that again absolutely i didn't know you were a star trek fan that's really cool Definitely. I've seen them <laughs> millions of times. And I've got some interesting stories about uh, accidentally meeting one of the guest stars. Wow. And, um, <laughs> and, and having a, a relationship with this, with this person and being able to sit and watch the episodes that he was on. Wow. And getting a lot of inside stories. And I had just seen one of these episodes. I was doing acting. This was in the 80s. I was doing uh, acting training. And I remember watching one of the episodes he was on and thinking, that's an amazing performance. That is so intense. How did they let that go on television? And then two weeks later, <laughs> I met this actor at a concert and we started spending time together and we watched the episode together. I mean, two to three weeks after watching it and marveling at this, this actor's 
ability and hearing all about the behind the scenes and how the director had just let him really go for it and that he'd actually been up for an Emmy for that performance. So I mean, strange things happen, you know, strange things that uh, serendipitous events can happen, but that was one of the more surreal wow. of, uh, of my, of my uh, TV, <laughs> TV or, or at least even watching TV experiences. Now, back to the strings attached to her, I, I just wanted to comment that when, you know, when they announced that this sort of tour was happening and then they said there was going to be backup singers, uh, you know, I, I can't say that that was the most exciting part to me. But as soon as they announced that you, Lisa Popeil, were going to was going to be <gasps> on the tour, that oh. I got so excited about that because... Oh. As a Weird Al fan, you are so ingrained in the, the, the history of Weird Al that getting an opportunity to see you performing live on stage, you know, for Dave and I 18 times each is just incredible. And so that really, that was a huge selling point for me. I mean, obviously I was going to go anyway, but it, it made me even more excited <laughs> to see that you were on tour. I don't know if we want to go right now into your insane history with Al, or if we want to keep talking about Strings Attached, but I just wanted to comment that. Oh, that makes me feel so good because I I figured that most of the people in the audience didn't know anything about me or my history or which songs I had sung on. Um, so it makes me feel good when, you know, when, when he would call my name out. He was so generous about that. You, you know, he'd introduce the band and make a big deal about all the band members. And uh, when he'd say my name and occasionally I'd hear some screaming, that was amazing. You know, you don't get <laughs> much screaming in your life when somebody says your name. And I'm assuming it was a hardcore fan who actually read the liner notes right. over the years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, even just having the name Popeil, I mean, that is so ingrained in Al fans because on in 3D, you know, the big album that Eat It was on, we have the song really about your father and your brother. Yes, and my, my brother was just here two days ago. He's 84 now, and he still invents things. And he still, <laughs> he comes over on occasion over the years, and I record in my studio, I record him doing his voiceovers. And he's got a new product that he's selling, and he's got a commercial for it. And um, he's got, like it's called Flip It. I might as well say that. It's called Flip It. And he was doing his his voiceovers here and I just smile when he does it because he's so intense still about it. He wants mm -hmm. the wording to be absolutely perfect and I'm saving his sheets with the copy on it and it's full of blackout marks and rewritten <laughs> words. He, he doesn't take his work lightly. He still has the kind of uh, love for selling and and, but also he's open to me coaching him about pitch or speed uh, or the, sometimes he gets a little strong in his delivery and I think it should be a little bit sweeter or lighter. Um, so he's he's open to the process too. But I'm going to save these because not, be, not that I'm going to sell them on eBay sometime, <laughs> but you never know. Some, some Ron Popeil fan in the future may really want to have a copy of, of what he's doing after, after all these decades of selling. He started really selling when he was a teenager, and um, he's, he's perfected his, his uh, skill, as you can imagine, over, I guess it's been, is it like six decades of wow. 
wow. of, of doing this. And he has, he has not lost any of his, his dedication to the craft of, of selling in this. It's like a performance art. But I just, I just put, just before we started, I, I took his sheets and I just flattened them out and put a paper clip on them. Instead of throwing them out, I thought, this, this is special. I shouldn't yeah. just throw this in the trash. This, this means something to a lot of people who grew up with Popeil products. And um, I'm not really sure exactly the true story of, of, of what inspired uh, Al to write the song, but I know that he had seen in Los Angeles Magazine, uh, he had seen my photo and bio when I was attempting to be a singer-songwriter, working hard on that in the early 80s. And his he was just starting out, I guess so it must have been 83, was my guess, 1983, uh, that he had been in the Los Angeles Magazine section called PeopleScape, hmm. which had four up-and-coming people to look out for. And so his photo um, and his bio for his first album uh, was list, was located right next to mine. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, and he'd seen that I was a singer and that I was part of the family. And then I received a, a call from Jay Levy, the, uh, Al's then and current manager, who, who invited me to sing on Mr. Popeil. And I went down to, uh, to the rehearsal studio and met Al for the first time. And... They were auditioning backup singers because it was going to be a, a sound alike of a Rock Lobster by the B-52s, mm, okay. and they needed right. one more girl singer. And just to hear the different girls sing Mr. Popeil, Mr. Popeil, oh, thank you very much. And then next, <laughs> Mr. Popeil, oh, thank you, thank you so much for coming by, Mr. Popeil. Just oh, girl, girl, girl after girl singing in a strange B-52's voice, <laughs> uh, and then finally deciding on Andrea Robinson, who was uh, a well-known uh, session singer at the time. And she took the top part, and I took the low part. And it was a lot of fun. It was <laughs> my first Weird Al experience of, <laughs> of um, just do whatever he says and trust that it's going to be great. Right. And were you familiar with his music before that? I'm not sure if I did. It was so long ago. I mean, I think it's that 35 years ago. I'm not sure if I had the first album. They might have sent it to me so that I could hear mm-hmm. what his what he had done previously. Was was the 3D record? Was that the the second his second album? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I I don't think that we would expect you to have known him because you know, Eat It wasn't out yet. You know, he was still such a, a, you know, young artist, but I think it's amazing that you guys maybe hadn't crossed paths at that point, you know, considering that you were already at that point performing with Frank Zappa and were kind of in that same community as Al. Well, the Frank Zappa experience for me was 1981. So around 1982, starting in 82 is when I really did a lot of work on my album. I had a, a self-titled album, started working on it in 82, believe it came out in a beginning of 84. So when I think back on my, my busiest time in the business, which was really from 81 to 87, uh, as a as a performer and recording mm-hmm. and do and doing a lot of demos for other people and doing session work 
for commercials, TV, and film, those six years were my, my busiest time. When I look back at old photos and promotional things and articles, it was all, most of it was in the, the 83, 84 period, so I was really busy then. And I can't remember the order of the songs that I did with Al after that. In fact, I was talking to someone who I did a, a, an interview with, a, a fan who I didn't, had done an interview with, and I said, would you mind just letting me know which Al songs I <laughs> sang on? Because I'm not really sure. And he was kind enough to send me a list, which I, I did not commit to memory, but I have it, I have it somewhere. <laughs> You guys probably know two more than I do, but it always was a thrill whenever I'd get a call saying, do you want to come in and do a song? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and then he started, Al started asking me to put together um, you know, groups. So we would do a group, you know, I'd, I'd call my session singer friends and, and you know, we'd need two guys, four guys, we need three girls, four girls, whatever he needed. Mm -hmm. And we'd all go down together. And those were always exciting because Al had the music all prepared, written out. A lot of times when you do sessions, you basically show up and they give it to you then. But Al was thorough, as he is in all things. And we had the music beforehand and we had sample tracks beforehand. So we went in pretty prepared. Mm -hmm. But he, he and Al also was respectful about our abilities and our experience. So he'd He'd ask for our opinion on things. Do you like this voicing there? Uh, he he wasn't you know he wasn't saying things like, oh, this is the way it is. Just do it as you know. No, he was right. He, he, if he had a question, if he thought we could input um, on how to make something better, uh, it was team. It was a, a group experience. It wasn't just um, here's the music, sing it, see ya. So we appreciated that too, that we had our input into range. Is this part too low, do you think, for the, for the, the, the female low part? Or do you think this part's too high? Uh, or do you want to have the girls switch parts? So, you know, there was in the studio, there, were, there was conversation about how best to pull it off. I want to go back to Mr. Popeil a little bit. One thing I, I always have wondered is, you know, when you are tasked to sing your own name, you know, I, I, I don't know how complicated, you know, certain names are, but I, I hear people pronounce their own name sometimes a little differently than maybe I would pronounce their name. Was there any sort of like, you know, you have different inflections that you and your family prefer that you had to sort of say to Alec, oh, actually, you know, we really like to you know, <laughs> add emphasis on the eel or the, the Poe. <laughs> Was there anything like that? No, he, he knew how we pronounced the name and, and it was all, it was fine. Sometimes when I, I, I traveled to Europe quite a bit, I was just in Italy and Romania. And when they introduced me, I always try to clarify because it's for a two syllable name. It's, you wouldn't think it, it's that hard, but people say say they put an M in there a lot. When I'm in Europe, they'll say Pompeii. They'll like I'm oh. some dead Italian city. <laughs> I don't know where the M comes from. Also, Pompeii it comes out a lot uh, because it's they think it's French. It's right. actually a Polish name, 
And it is misspelled. The original spelling would have been P-O-P-I-E-L. So when they say the E-I, they might say the, the sound I, Popeil, uh, because they, they never grew up with the commercials, so they never right. heard the word before. <laughs> I was, I've been doing a lot of um, uh, genealogy, and there is a branch of the family that does pronounce it differently, where they'll call it Popeil. Uh, There's a branch that, that pronounces their name Popeil with the... Uh, with the emphasis on the first syllable. So I always make sure when I'm in Europe, especially if I'm gonna be announced to a lot of people, <laughs> that it's popeel, that it's stressed on the second syllable, and that it's Lisa, not Lisa. They, they don't, they always think it's gonna be a Z. Lisa, they want, they want us, most of the common pronunciation in Europe is Lisa Popey. That's the concern. So I make them practice, and I've got my little fist action yeah. so they know which Lisa Popeil. But no, Al knew. Right. <laughs> Not okay. a problem there. Not surprised there. <laughs> so, how long after Mr. Popeil did you work with Al again? Mm, I was afraid you were going to ask me that. <laughs> oh, it's a blur. It's a blur. It's you, a blur. you probably should tell me what you know. What was the next song I sang? And I don't. I don't remember. I. I I don't remember. I think it was some time before we picked up again, uh, maybe the late 80s, and it might have been a group number. I didn't get my list ready of, you know, of dates and <laughs> okay. albums. I just wait for the, you know, I wait for the call and hope, hoping that he, he calls and, and says, do you want to do another song? Yes. <laughs> yes, please. please. <laughs> Yeah, well, some songs we do know that you worked on. We do know that you worked on, you know, uh, Don't Download This Song, Do I Creep You Out, Weasel Stomping Day, Amish Paradise, Stop Forwarding That Crap to Me. Amish Paradise was unique because it, even though it sounds like a group, it was really the band and me. Oh. So that was not, uh, that was just the only female on that was me. But the other three you mentioned were group songs that I helped put together with you know, some really famous session singers. I mean, it's famous in the session singing community, people who have made their living doing sessions and been on every movie and, and mm -hmm. millions of television shows. Uh, I always was an art, I was always an artist until I quit in 87. And I'm not always taught voice ever since I was 18. Uh, but in 87, when I quit the pop music business, uh, as trying to, I was getting older, and they were start, the music business was starting to sign rap, a lot of rap artists. I thought, this is maybe is not the business for me. Uh, my songs were getting more, uh, in a way, more complex, and I really liked what was going on in, Eng in England and less of what was going on here. And there was just a lot of, a lot of pressure to write hits. Uh, here in LA. So then I got into video. I thought, well, maybe this isn't for me. So I, I started working for a video production company, which helped me a lot, even as a, a voice coach, learning about how that, that whole world works technically. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I started 1990, I got an invitation to teach singing at a college. And that was the beginning of my real commitment to to spending the rest of my life focusing on uh, voice research, which I started doing in 1995, and I will be continuing and 
was just in the Czech Republic in April uh, doing voice research and in fact right now I'm working on present presentation proposals for scientific conferences for next year one in France uh, one in Philadelphia and wow. there's another one I'm working on a oh, one for England uh, for poster presentations and um, workshops so I just a lot of my my traveling now is based on uh, conference presentations as keynote presenter um, or doing workshops on multiple styles which has been related to Al too because you know he'd say okay we're going to do this style we're going to do this style so right. it isn't just you have one voice and you just bring that voice to it it's like what style are we doing on this one and related to uh, to the the strings attached tour uh, that's one thing in particular, uh, Monique, who can just sing anything, you know, so it's it's opera at the drop of a hat or R&B or belting. So there's this sort of flexibility. Scotty has a, a real great rock sound. And so she brings this this rock sound. I mean, she's flexible, too, but her specialty is this this, uh, you know, a rock sound or bluesy sound. Mm -hmm. And I, I think my specialty has been. Uh, even though I take the low part, I took the low part of the three. Um, I've done a lot of head voice in my life. So so doing head voice um, is really easy for me. In fact, when Monique uh, had to miss a couple of shows this summer, I took all her high parts. So we all could do all the parts. Right. Uh, but I'm very comfortable doing head voice and opera sound or an operetta sound or a musical theater sound it's very very easy for me but i was just amazed at how monique could just go from a opera sound to a to a belting sound so easily and and that's something i i like to do as well which is you know to be as flexible as possible and so i teach other teachers what makes a style different from another style you know how is pop different from rock how is are those two different from r&b we didn't have any country singing on the uh, as singers on the strings attached tour. I know Jim West; he's also so um, such an amazing guitarist, and he can go from style to style. And I think it was on um, uh, "Biggest Ball of Twine" that I noticed that that uh, Jim was doing a kind of a country style in his in his uh, playing, hmm. but. We, we didn't do country, but we did, a, vocally, we did a lot of different styles. And that's just something that's interested me my entire life as a singer. Because I started as a, in classical, because that's what, if you went to a, a, a singing teacher and they had any credentials at all, it was always, they were always classical. So even though I wanted to sing pop when I was 11, because I started classical voice at seven, and when I was 11, I wanted to sing pop and sound like people on the radio. I wanted to know how, how um, Barbra Streisand could make those sounds. And then not knowing anything about R&B, I, I you know, loved uh, Aretha Franklin, for example. And I wanted to know how, how did she do that? Because whenever I would try to sing that, I would always sing in head voice on the high notes <laughs> because that's what my training was. And I couldn't. I couldn't talk about it with my, my singing teacher because she got really angry. Well, I did. I actually brought it up when I was 11, and she got really angry oh, with man. me because she, in her mind, that was not singing, and that was 
deleterious, oh, that word has never passed my lips, that was harmful um, to to the vocal cords. It, it isn't when done correctly, but she didn't know that. She had that bias, which is that singing is, good singing is classical singing, and that classical singing is the basis of all good singing, you see. Uh, so I was really on my own, and it took me a long time to figure out how I could sing in the, these other commercial styles. Uh, without losing everything I worked for in, in terms of the, cl the classical singing. So I think p more and more people are around the world, teachers are more and more around the world going, yeah, maybe this, maybe you can do all of that. You don't have to just sing opera to be a good singer. So it's, it's a, an exciting time for me as a teacher now because there's such a hunger uh, around the world in the, at the university level and in the private teaching studio level about how can one person do all these different styles authentically well and not hurt themselves. And I think it was the last, Al's last tour, um, the, the, um, van the uh, ill-advised vanity tour, where he was doing all these, uh, these covers where he was actually doing more uh, stylistic variety, I think, than he'd ever done before. Yeah. So I was excited to hear how he was really going for it in terms of sounding not like him, but sounding trying to sound like the original singer. So I was like, yeah, you, you go for it, guy. <laughs> yeah, so since you mentioned the Strings Attached tour and Monique and Scotty, is this the first time that you worked with Monique and Scotty? I worked with them, both of them, on a Weird Al song. And I'm not exactly sure which one that was, but it was sometime, it was about 12 or 13 years ago. And I brought both of them in. Oh. But I had actually met Scotty on a demo session in 1988. So in 88, when I was still, oh, I guess I had, by then I had stopped my own career, but I was still doing demos. I was um, asked to be, to do a song demo for a songwriter in LA and they had brought Scotty in and I heard her demo that she had done when she had lived in you know, I guess it was Nashville or Memphis and it was amazing she was amazing she sang every note in tune and I felt that that was not one of my gifts I had numerous gifts vocally but singing every note in tune was not one of them I was just so impressed with her and she was so nice. And I became friendly with her after that and just stayed in touch with her since 1988. And then when Al called to do a three girl session uh, about, you know, like I said, about 13 years ago, I asked, um, I asked Scotty for a referral and she, she mentioned uh, Monique and how great Monique was and I think that was the first time wow and I've just stayed in touch with both of them all these you know these years since since then and we have some great photos of Monique she was pregnant at the time that we did this this Al session <laughs> and uh, so that's how I know how to how to uh, name the the year because that that her daughter is now like 13 so okay. that's how we know when it, when it happened that's amazing they're both they're both so talented and i've always enjoyed hearing about histories of of singers people who make their living as professional singers is is 
such a rare thing. It's, it's very difficult to do. And I love to hear their histories of, of how they got into it. Now, Scotty comes from a famous musical family. Her father was one of the, the top arrangers in Los Angeles for decades. His name was Jimmy Haskell. And I did have the honor of meeting him on a couple of occasions before he passed away several years ago. So she grew up in a, in a family that was constantly, I mean, Jimmy was constantly working with the top musicians and acts, probably, I could have been going back to the 50s, but I'm not sure. Maybe if you do interview her, you can find out more about that. But uh, his name is on so many uh, albums as as an arranger including um weird al's song spy hard he actually did the arrangement for that song which is so i didn't cool. know that how <laughs> neat is that <laughs> it all comes back to al it's a small world is al's the center of our worlds we just live in it right <laughs> in fact my hu- my husband was um bill monte was uh in a group a Hawaiian group called Mofoya in the 70s. And there's a record that just came out called, oh, I forgot the name. It's it's a a compilation of Hawaiian-related 70s songs. And I was just looking, he just received it, because Mofoya, it's called Magic Sands, that that cut is on this new record. Mm -hmm. And at at the bottom it says Bill Monte, and below that, it says Jimmy Haskell music. Wow. So oh, one, wow. Of, one of the songs that Jimmy, but I don't know which one, I sent it, I, I took a photo of it and sent it to Scotty, and she wasn't sure, but she was going to check to see which of the songs uh, had, had her father uh, arranged. Because I was just like, there it is, there it is again. The it's small amazing. world, we're all, you know, wow. we're all connected in the music business. I love how it's all connected like that. That's that's fabulous. I have a question for you guys, yes. if I may. And that is, if, what do you do in terms of your connectedness to Al and his work? What do you do in the, in the years when he's not making a record and his next tour hasn't been announced? We just, we, we hold each other and we just sob. <laughs> And we just, <laughs> we just count the days uh, like prisoners by uh, scratching marks on our walls. <laughs> There's nothing else to do, Lisa. Come on. <laughs> well, we do record podcast episodes to pass the time where we do get to talk about Al every week. So that is exciting. Yeah, and you got to keep Al, you know, wearing Al t-shirts and, and you know, looking at, you, you know, we each have massive collections and you know just we got to keep al present in in our hearts and minds uh (laughs) when we can't actually physically see him or or hear his work uh (laughs) develop and become new (laughs) what a riot well done that that was very impressive i actually am wearing my al's gals t-shirt wow which um was designed uh scotty took care of it i'm not sure if she was the one who designed it but they're quite brilliant and it has an, an, an accordion on the front. It says Al's Gals and has musical notes on the front. And on the back it says, oh, you know what? I, I, I really should pull this up to, so I don't word it incorrectly. I'm, pu- I'm 
semi taking my t-shirt off right now wow and it says oh. live on the air it says live on radio it says it's okay i'm with al yeah <laughs> i think that's just so inside right it's such an inside yep. thing it's totally like, and it's a tour thing i would wear it's one of those all shirts. access thing. <laughs> that's so cool yeah i i cherish this shirt and it did, get, it did get a lot of wear over the summer, crawling out of the bunks at 3, 4, or 5 a.m. Well, that's an excellent transition to my next question. Have you, about the tour life, have you ever toured like this before? A big, a giant word, tour like this? No. I've never <laughs> toured in any way, shape, or form. Wow. Except when I'm teaching, if I'm going from country to country to do a workshop but not like this. In the 80s, this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be this, this singer-songwriter. I mm -hmm. had my band and, and, and tour either on a bus or a plane. Never thought it would happen in my life. I, <laughs> it was hard to know how to prepare for it um, because I'm, I'm really detail-oriented and I want my comfort. So I brought my, uh, I, I did some research. So I realized that the bed size was a certain size and I brought my own sheets <laughs> and I brought my own pillows. Uh, and I had these Bluetooth things so that I could listen to ocean sounds uh, and in case the, the, the bus was loud and I could listen to music and not disturb anyone and I had my special shades and whatever I could find that I thought was interesting, I'd email to Monique and Scotty, just say, okay, here, I found this really cool thing. You may want to get this. I, to me, preparation was the key yeah. to comfort and, I'm, and it was a good decision. Um, it was really a trip to be sleeping on the bus in this tiny little bunk it's it's really more like for children it's an rv size <laughs> twin bed it's, it's i think it's 10 inches narrower so you know if you're small it works it, i don't know how the big guys do it they had the guys had the condos they call them the condos because even though they're just as narrow they could sit up in them they had more space uh but ours, I called the coffins yeah. because they, they were black. <laughs> They're a black curtain and a black painted wood and no window. And, uh, you know, and I'm not claustrophobic, thank goodness. This is not something for someone no. who is. <laughs> and just, it reminded me of college. It reminded me of camping with your friends. Uh, but it reminded me of living in a co-ed dorm and the way we would all kid each other and and hug each other good night mm -hmm. and it was a bit Brady Bunch too you know <laughs> good night, good night. Uh, <laughs> and then we'd have to wake each other up like like Scotty couldn't go to sleep very easily I could go to sleep right after a show if I needed to but Scotty would have to sit up for several hours so maybe she'd get to sleep around 2 or 3 a.m. <laughs> and then we'd get into the hotel maybe let's say it's 6 a.m. and she was out so we've got some funny video of us trying to wake her up by lifting and lifting her wrist lifting her wrist and then watching it fall and trying not to laugh because she just wouldn't wake up and one day we brought al was there and i said al watch this and we would lift 
lift um, Scotty's wrist and it would fall and lift Scott, you know she could, and then I would have to just start poking her harder and, <laughs> oh, and then she'd wake up oh oh okay oh, okay I'm good okay you know and we just have to help each other get off the bus so I mean that's just one a lot of my memories are of sleeping on the bus and getting off the bus right it's funny it, it's like what what do you what do you remember the most oh, that is what I and also just being on stage uh, before the show and just scoping out the stage. I just felt like that was important too, to vibe the stage and vibe the, the, the audience, even though they weren't there yet. You know, we were on a platform that was, the, the girls sang on a platform that was provided by the venue. So it was always a different height. Oh, so I wanted okay. to see, is it is there a platform? Because sometimes there wasn't. Is it the platform two inches high? Is it four inches high? Are the mics placed where where we want them? Um, imagining the audience there uh, so I could imagine how I had to send out my charismatic energy to the back. <laughs> of course. To, you know, how many thousands of people are going to be out there. So that I remember. And just feeling like, isn't this amazing? Isn't this just, it's just another surreal, amazing day. And then, of course, performing, uh, which was always surreal, especially if it if it was outside and it was humid and so there were the lights and this fog and smoke and um you can't really see mm -hmm. and you're maybe sleepy because you didn't get a lot of sleep that night um so there was a lot of dreaminess to the experience there were there were times when i would just get weepy um because i it was such an um, such an honor really to right. have this experience and I would think about how I, w I would never be on that stage again I would never sing for that audience again um, you guys notwithstanding uh, <laughs> I'd see you again which was always a treat um, and I, I mean that sincerely um, but I would get kind of weepy sometimes and and Scotty would would say what time is it and I'd and and I was supposed to, my response she taught me was to say, now, now. She'd help bring me back to the present and yeah. not feeling like pre-grieving the end of the tour. And then she'd, uh, she, first she started tra trying to train me to be back and not be weepy by hitting the top of my hand like this <laughs> with a slap. And I, was, and I started doing it and I would say, now, now, now. And if I get weepy, she'd say, what time is it? And sometimes I would forget, and I'd say, it's 3.30. And she'd say, no, it's now. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's now. And I'd slap myself on the top of my hand just to, so I <laughs> wouldn't be a puddle of tears. But I felt like pre-grieving the end of it would help me at the end not go, you know, be a complete mess, which I was anyway. Um, that last night, the last night was Little Rock, Arkansas. And it was really tough for for Scotty and I to, to get through the show, but we did, we did. But then once the show was over, no, we were, you know, we're, we're going to go to our hotel rooms and just cry for the Aww. rest of the night. Only, <laughs> but only because it was, we knew it was a once in a lifetime opportunity that, that probably would never come our way again. And, um, I've heard stories of other tours and, they're usually not that positive. People say things like, oh, never talk to the artist. That's the number one thing when you're a backup <laughs> singer. Never talk to the artist. Just just keep your distance. I said, well, that, I said, 
to the girls early on, I said, well, this is not going to be like that. This is really going to be like a family. And yes, we're going to get on each other's nerves and be annoying. I mean, that's what, that's, that's family. Yeah. But we, we really took care of each other. We always tried to take care of each other. And, uh, you know, that when, when we weren't feeling well or when there were family emergencies or just, you know, life, when life happens, um, you just take you just take care of each other and you get through it and you get back to the the sheer joy of uh, of being in these amazing venues and having the fans say things that are just so life-changing like we were in Peoria and there were a couple guys they're called the bus people for the record I learned and those are the, the guys who did not pay the the large amount of money to be backstage and have their photo taken. Right. They weren't VIPs. They were just people who had access to the bus, and they would wait up to three hours to just see Al or maybe get an autograph or thank him. And there were just these two young men. They were about thirty, and they looked very normal. They didn't look like <laughs> like some we of look the people I see <laughs> who might wait for three hours. I'll put it that way. And so these guys were standing by the the door of the bus. As I was getting in, and one of them said to me, thank you for the magic. And I was so moved by it. And I said, what is it about Al? What is it about Al that makes you feel the way you do about him? And he said, well, he represents to me that you can be different and you can make fun of yourself. But the way he said it... It was like this biblical, holy thing. <laughs> when I say it now, it's like it sounds stupid. But when he said it, it, it had depth. It, it meant so much to his self-confidence as a person in the world. And that Al was more than just an entertainer. He was somebody who, who could create um, a way to be that made life more enjoyable for a lot of people. And that, that really that will always stick with me. Thank you for the magic. I don't know. That, that's going to stay with me. I mean, it, it's so true. I mean, everything he said is so true. I mean, I, I don't feel like, and maybe it's just because I'm an Al fan and, and that's you know where I am, but I don't feel like other musicians necessarily have that sort of effect on people where it's, you know... When you become an Al fan, you're an Al fan for life. It's not like a it's not like a fad or a phase. It's like you become an Al fan and you that is now part of you. And I think that, you know, it is magic. I wonder about the dark side though, because when people th- who aren't Al fans think about Al, they think it's all fun and silliness and maybe that he's a good singer. Because several people said that to me. Even in Italy, this one guy said, you know, people don't realize what a good singer. He's such a good singer. I said, oh, I know. But some of the songs are really very dark and uh, scary. And so I realized that Al is not one-dimensional, that he has this. And I think maybe you and I talked about this after one of the shows, Um and I think you had mentioned, Ethan, about Mad Magazine. Would you mind just talking a little about that? I'm interviewing you now. Um, <laughs> about how that sensibility of um, strangeness that's not lighthearted is a part of Al's uh, 
work, his oeuvre, if you will. Uh, <laughs> I also don't think that word has ever crossed my lips. <laughs> and what were the influences uh, that brings a darkness to some of his deeper cuts? Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly, I think just speaking on, you know, the people who are not necessarily Al fans, I think that anyone who's not an Al fan, they're just not an Al fan yet. I feel like anyone who's actually given a, a good college try and actually sat down, listened to his music, and taken an opportunity to understand what they're hearing and, and what he's putting out there, I think they would be an Al fan. I think it's just sometimes people don't know anything about him. They just, they know that he does songs. Maybe they haven't heard them and they might come up with, you know, their own explanation. Like, oh yeah, he's just singing songs about food and fart jokes and, you know, that kind of thing. But it's really mm -hmm. so much more than that. And, you know, you can't be silly and be taken seriously without really being able to back up that with, like you said, amazing singing, amazing sensibility amazing band amazing music everything is so right that being silly is okay and it's not silly for being silly it's 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 calculated silliness you know <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well i think his past as an architect uh it plays a big part and i think a lot of people don't realize that they know he you know went to college but that that his um his accuracy and even his writing there's something very uh designy about it that that when you you build a building there it's full of detail it it you it has to be um it and so that the same mind that would create architectural designs can with enough creativity obviously um move that sensibility into into songwriting and I have seen him write before. I've uh, in the past. I would see a little bit of his process of of writing and how specific um, it was. And yet, when he performs, it sounds. It can even sound off the cuff, which is a great combination of accuracy and freedom. Because uh, I think if somebody's too systematic, it can sound that way. Absolutely. But Al doesn't. He sounds like he's still having a good time, and there's a wildness behind the perfor his performing that hides the architectural detail of the songs. You know, something that Dave and I had commented on is w when we see Al perform live, it really does, like you said, feel off the cuff because he will sing these songs that you know we have heard hundreds of times, and you still laugh. Adam because it's just it's just how he performs it and you you can even see in the audience like you know these songs that these fans have heard so many times there's like a new life to it and the off the cuffness really does you know reinvigorate some of that humor that you know all the words but it's just it's now funny er do you think he's going to be putting out songs this next year I hope so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know a lot of people hope we so, need, and I, yeah, I think he, I think he will. I think he, when asked about that, he's just going to be very specific about it. You know, if he hears us, I think he, I heard him mention to one of the fans after a show that if, um, you know, if there's a song that comes up that inspires him, he'll do his thing and and make it happen and and release it in this new format that he releases songs in. Uh, but he's not, no, I don't think, I think albums are part of the past. I just think it's not a 
I don't think it's a, a format that's part of the future for most artists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to go back to your comment about the, the dark songs, I do want to address that and say that I do think a lot of his dark humor he does for the juxtaposition of being the dark humor over really silly type of music yeah. like for example the one that comes <laughs> into my mind is weasel stomping okay? it's about you know <laughs> stepping on you know tiny little mammals and he puts it to this really happy fun you know <laughs> music so I think a lot of his dark songs he does that for the juxtaposition of the humor I hadn't thought about that that the music that in the dark songs the or this or the cre creepy or or disgusting songs that the music offsets it I hadn't I hadn't thought about that yeah. But also, I think in that song, uh, he was trying to make fun of people who, uh, who live in maybe certain parts of the country who have very strange festivities or right. holidays. <laughs> Traditions, like, yeah. Why do we even do this weird <laughs> thing? And we don't even know why we do it, but it's, it seems like a good time, so let's, <laughs> let's do it. It's good for the community. Yeah, that's the great part about Al's songs. You can listen to them on so many different levels and get so much out of it definitely do you think a certain iq is required to be a real al fan <laughs> we don't want to be gatekeepers but I, I think you know a certain iq is required just to to understand the depth of really any art and i think you know lower iqs you can still appreciate it but i think you know when you have more room to appreciate things you're you're going to find more stuff to appreciate that was awesome what you just said. My goodness. Wow. It really applies to so so much of of any kind of intellectual or artistic endeavor. My goodness. Well well said. Thank you. Try not to offend anyone. No. This idea of more room that, that higher intelligence gives you more room to appreciate and enjoy something. I love that. Very respectful too. And that is the end of part one of our interview with Lisa Popeil. We had so much fun talking to her. We decided just to keep on talking, and we split the interview into two parts. You do not want to miss part two of the interview next week. It is so much fun. It is so exciting. We just had a blast talking to her. Part two of the interview next week. And definitely check out her website. Sign up for her newsletter. It's popeil.com. That's P-O-P-E-I-L.com. You can get workshops, you can get DVDs, you can even get virtual one-on-one -on -one lessons with Lisa herself in singing and voice work. It's amazing. Definitely check her out, popeel.com. So Lisa will do a one-on-one -on -one virtual session with just about anybody? That's right. Do you think she would do a virtual one-on-one -on -one session with a Labrador? Uh, as long as the Labrador has internet access and is able to head on to her website, popeel.com, why not? That would be so cool if she could collaborate with a Labrador. What do you think they'd call that? Would that be like a Collaborador? Yeah. I, I mean, maybe you're onto something, Dave. <laughs> well, please help us get the word out. If you listen to this podcast and enjoy it, please tell a friend. And if they don't know how to listen, just show them how. You can listen on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, Atari 2600, and all of that is absolutely free. Subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you do not miss an episode ever. And if you want to support the podcast and keep the great content coming, head over to patreon.com slash 2000 inch. Patreon helps us pay the bills and ensures that we can continue to do what we love. And that's making fun, entertaining podcasts just for you. And for the next 1,963 episodes. 
On Patreon, we've got a few different options to fit your needs, including how you can sponsor the podcast. It goes a long way to pay the bills if you become a sponsor of the podcast. And you can sponsor the podcast for as little as one month at a time if you desire. And if Patreon isn't your thing, there are other ways you can support us as well. By rating our podcast on iTunes, by sharing the podcast with your friends, by buying an awesome Dave and Ethan 2000-inch Weird Al podcast UHF screening poster, by doing our hand signals in the photo shoot, and by sending Ethan bottled water. There are also details on our website where you can find out how you can be a guest on the podcast, or you can email our intern Frank, frank at 2000inch.com for more details. Speaking of sponsoring the podcast for as little as one month, our friend Allison Parsons recently became a sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you in part by Allison Parsons Bottled Water Warehouse! If you find yourself at the Weird Al Magazine photo shoot this Saturday, be sure to find Allison Parsons, and she will give you one of many bottles of water from the Allison Parsons Bottled Water Warehouse! Allison Parsons Bottled Water Warehouse now stocks Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al Podcast official bottled water. And we've heard from the grapevine that Allison Parsons Bottled Water Warehouse will be supplying all of the water for the Weird Al magazine photo shoot this Saturday in Los Angeles. So be sure to pick up some of your own Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al Podcast bottled water sourced by... Allison Parsons Bottled Water Warehouse at the magazine photo shoot this Saturday. Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, Bottled Water, produced by Allison Parsons Bottled Water Warehouse, is suitable for dogs of all breeds, including Labradors. Allison Parsons Bottled Water Warehouse is excited to collaborate with Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, Bottled Water, for that event. And speaking of events, Dave, in one week and a couple days... You and I are going to be interviewing Jonah Ray live on stage before a screening of UHF. That's going to be January 25th. It's a Saturday. It's 4 p.m. It's at Proctor's in Schenectady, New York. I cannot wait for that event. Ethan, you must also really be excited because you will be performing comedy with Jonah as well. And on Thursday, January 23rd, you guys will be in North Adams, Massachusetts. And on Friday, January 24th, you guys will be in Glens Falls, New York. And then, I don't know how we make this one any more convenient for our listeners, but immediately after our screening with Jonah Ray on Saturday, January 25th, same venue, Proctor's in Schenectady, New York, you and Jonah will be performing comedy as well immediately after the event. I am so excited for that. And also, don't forget, a very special restaurant is going to be catering the event. And we'll have burritos for sale. They're going to have vegan Twinkie Wiener sandwiches for sale. Yes, you're right, Dave. It's Burrito Burrito. This week's episode brought to you in part by vegan Mexican restaurant Burrito Burrito in Troy, New York. Home of the two-pound double wrapped in a quesadilla Burrito Burrito. Come on down to Burrito Burrito and Burrito Burrito, your Burrito Burrito. Find them at burritosquared.com and at burritosquared on Instagram. And remember, not every burrito is a Burrito Burrito Burrito, but every Burrito 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 can be Burrito Burritoed. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at 2000inch. Find us on Patreon. Check out our Facebook group and visit our website 2000inch.com where you can get the latest episodes, information on our guests, and back episodes, including our bonus episodes. Remember to use hashtag 2000inch and hashtag Gill and Chill when you post.
If you will be at that magazine photo shoot this coming Saturday, please give us a call, 347-SPATULA. Put it in your phone right now, 347-772-8852. Leave us a message. Let us know all about that event. We love hearing from our listeners. We might even play your message on the air. Special thanks to Jim Kimo West. He wrote our amazing theme song. For more information on him and to get all of his great music and merchandise, head over to jimkimowest.com. We are so excited. We are going to have more with Lisa Popeil on next week's episode, episode 38 Inch. That was Dave and Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al podcast, episode 37 Inch. This is Ethan, and I'm here with Dave, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 37-inch. On this episode, we have part one of our interview with vocalist and longtime Weird Al collaborator, Lisa Popio. You said collaborator wrong. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Collaborator. <laughs> Collaborator retriever. <laughs>